The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Today, we're going to talk with two different people about force majeure. It's that little weird word you see on a contract every now and then, otherwise known as act of God. Folks, you could potentially be seeing what may bring down the insurance industry right now. The force majeure is something, if implemented, it would be a ton of claims at the same time. So Josh Swanson and Chris Cottrell have come by. They're both attorneys. Josh Swanson at Vogel Law, Chris Cottrell at Winston & Strawn. Talk about this in the oil and gas industry because it's already started in the oil and gas industry as well in the restaurant industry with, I believe, the Texas Cheesecake Factory, if I'm going off my memory here, has already started the process as well. So different word, I understand, force majeure, different word. But let me tell you, folks, go take a look at any contract you have, and there's a clause in there. I almost guarantee it has to do with a pandemic, epidemic, flood, tornado. People who live in natural disaster areas may be somewhat familiar with it, especially in the world of agriculture. Sometimes they got to flood wells out, and so they got to issue a letter ahead of time. In fact, the governor of Oklahoma just this week wrote a letter to President Donald Trump and asked him to declare a pandemic so that the oil and gas industry can start a force majeure process. And Continental Resources has challenged a refinery on the force majeure litigation already. So, folks, it's coming. And we've got it right here at the Multimedia Cafe. Let's get to it. Josh Swanson from Vogel Law. You know, you, you kind of went through the process of it. Now, since we last spoke, the governor of Oklahoma has sent out a letter asking Donald Trump to declare force majeure nationwide, I guess, for the oil and gas industry. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the letter, if you've seen this, but uh, I just wanted to follow up on that a little bit and just kind of revisit force majeure for a couple minutes and then get into the get into the mineral stuff but uh have, have you seen this uh letter are you aware of this yeah it, it made front page headlines here in the new york times a couple days ago where uh the governor there asked the president to declare the coronavirus the, the headline an act of god to, you know overproduction of oil continues to threaten the economy governor Stitt said in a letter to Trump and declaring that a nationwide force majeure would allow oil companies to, to halt operations without risking the land leases. And what's interesting there, I mean, it's interesting on so many levels, Jason, because, you know, the, the federal government obviously is one of the biggest mineral owners, if not the biggest mineral owners in the country. And a lot of companies have leases and, and are developing federal land. But we have a, a state versus federal issue. Does the president have the power uh, with regards to state lands because most minerals are in North Dakota on, on state, you know, on uh, private lands that are under state control. And the question is, does the federal government 
have the right to come in on these lands that state law is applicable and declare a force majeure event. So there are different issues with federal versus state control. And another story, too, I mean, it's interesting. We talked about this a month ago, and now we're starting to see it come to fruition. You know, there there's a headline in, in Bloomberg and Reuters where Continental Resources declared a force majeure on some oil deliveries just a few days ago. The story's from uh, April 24th. And on Tuesday, it declared uh, a force majeure on at least one of its contracts to deliver oil to a fuel producer, according to a document that uh, Bloomberg got a hold of after crude futures settled at a negative 38. So you have one of the major players uh, in the domestic realm here with Continental Resources, who does a lot of business in the Bakken, that declared a force majeure well, on one of its contracts to deliver to a refinery. And now they're going to have a fight because the refinery is saying, are you kidding me? This isn't a force majeure event. So some of these issues that we've talked about are starting to play out now. So it, it's it's uh, it's interesting on a lot of levels, specifically the, not only the legal side, but the, the business side and how some of these disputes are going to end up playing out. You mentioned state by state, and then the the federal side of things. Um, does that uh, does that have like a, a multiple effect? Because I'm looking at you know just the insurance company's point of view. You know what I mean? Yeah. How yeah. It, no, it, it, yeah. It, it it does. If if I'm if if I'm an attorney on it for an operator, I would love the president to issue a declaration like that because it gives you one more thing to argue in court that. You know, not only did the, the World Health Organization, CDC, and everyone else declare this a pandemic, the president has de- issued an order saying there's force majeure on federal leases. So by extension, that should, you know, it's not controlling on the states, but it's strong evidence that these are times in this pandemic should qualify as a, a force majeure event. But I think what folks got to keep in mind, and, and uh, you know, we, we had talked about it last month on your program, so you were certainly ahead of the curve on it. And I visited with the, uh, the Fargo Forum, and, and they did a story on it that I've got up on LinkedIn that's generated a lot of conversation back and forth, is that force majeure is still a creature of contract. So whether or not a force majeure event um is present and qualifies to, to save a lease or a service contract or whatever it is, the first thing the court will do is look to the actual agreement to say whether or not the parties addressed this. And if they didn't, the courts have been very, very clear on it. The force majeure does not apply. Now, there, there's different defenses like uh, the defense of impossibility that could apply. And uh, the president issuing a force majeure declaration, which I, I, to my knowledge, has never been, been done before. I'm not aware, um, and I haven't researched it extensively, but I did do a law review article here for the University of North Dakota law review a few years ago on force majeure, where I, I took a pretty deep dive into it. But, but I'm not aware of a, a single instance in our country's history where uh, a president has declared something, a, a force majeure event. So it'll be interesting to see how the, the White House's legal office handles that and, and how governors, too. And that's one of the other issues in a lot of these oil and gas producing states, whether it's North Dakota, Wyoming, Texas or, or Oklahoma, how governors have and are addressing that. And I, I saw in a Politico's energy briefing this morning, uh, Ron Ness, who's uh, president of the Petroleum Council, is quoted. He had a 
conference call with uh, the congressional delegation, Senator Kramer and some other oil and gas industry representatives and the Department of Energy. And, and I'm sure that that might have been a topic that's come up. But we're going to we're going to see this in litigation. And in North Dakota, you know, the, the governor with his orders, the, the news up here, bars and restaurants are allowed to reopen this Friday under uh, with some guidelines and limitations in place. Now, if I'm an attorney for a bar or restaurant and, and I'm struggling to pay one of my vendors and the governor issued an order saying I can't be open, I tell the vendor if they send me a letter saying, hey, you still owe us, you know, seven grand for the lease or, you know, 2000 for these services, for you know, food services, whatever it is. Josh Swanson, hold on for just a second. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Josh Swanson with Vogel Law. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Well, ever since I was a little bit in boy, just listening to my heroes sing. Well, I knew one day if I could Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Continuing the conversation with Josh Swanson with Vogel Law about the force majeure laws and clauses in contracts. 2000 for these services, for you know, food services, whatever it is. I'd say, look, this is a force majeure event. Because the, the typical force majeure language and contracts says government order, rule, regulation, etc. Well, there was a government order from the executive branch here shutting me down, and I couldn't do business. Well, you don't have that on the oil and gas side of it. You, you don't have wells that were shut in or had to be temporarily plugged because of an order from the executive. So operators are going to have a, a challenging legal argument to make, and it's one of those scenarios where it's, it's worth it for folks that are listening, if, if you're an operator, to have really good legal representation on it. And I'm, and I'm not just, you know, doing a shameless self-promotion type thing, but you're talking about a lot of money at stake on these contracts, and you need to have someone going into court for you that knows what they're doing. And, and, and outside of even going to court, um, you need someone that can have a dialogue with who's ever on the other side of the contract and say, do you really want this tied up in court? for two years because if if the defense comes up and there's a breach of contract type argument and one of my defenses is force majeure and impossibility the court can't decide that in a week or even a month or even three months i mean courts are backed up now that's one of the realities we're facing i know i've got a a one-day trial in dunn county north dakota 
which you know is you know one of the, the big Bakken producing counties, we were supposed to have that trial in May. Our witnesses can't get up here because they're from out of state. So just to get a one-day trial, we're already looking into November, late November, with the court. Now, if, if I'm arguing a force majeure issue, one of the kind of on-the-ground things that I tell the other side is, if you want to litigate this, courts are backed up now. I mean, thousands and thousands of hearings. I know in Cass County, just a couple of weeks ago, we got a, a memo saying Cass County is 3,500 hearings behind because of uh, everything going on with COVID-19. So what I tell someone is we can either resolve this, we can come to some sort of agreement and we can work it out, or we can fight about it in court where it's a, a zero-sum issue. Either we're going to get everything or you're going to get everything, but no one's going to get anything for three years because we can litigate it, we're going to do discovery, we're going to file motions, and we're going to tie it up. So I, I think that's one of the things that'll be interesting to see how, how folks on different sides of these contracts decide to play ball. Because uh, one of the other things that's a reality, you know, cash is king. And, and a lot of companies right now, there's the double whammy of the, the low prices and COVID-19. So a lot of companies could really, really use cash right now. And I don't know that a lot of companies are going to want to pay someone like me a couple hundred thousand dollars to, to argue about something for three or four years when they could just reach some sort of resolution otherwise. So there's, it's a really interesting time right now from, from the, uh, on the legal end of it with these arguments, but also it, it's unprecedented. We've, we've never seen this before. We've never had, like I said, a governor of a major oil and gas producing state asking the president to declare force majeure. And, and I don't know that we've ever had a player like Continental Resources telling a refinery that, hey, we're not delivering on our contract because this is a force majeure event. We've pretty much only had force majeure in cases of floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, correct? They've mostly been kind of regional, isolated, natural disasters. We've never really had a, a nationwide pandemic to where the force majeure language has been uh, really brought to this level. That are, have we? I don't know. I'm, I'm asking. No, not, 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 not that I'm aware of. And, and like I said, when I, when I did a deep dive on this a few years ago for a UN law review article on the very topic, you know, nothing came up. And then you take a look. You know, my, my background is, you know, one of my majors at NDSU is history. So I'm a big history guy. I love, love reading about U.S. history, especially the closest thing to comparison is the, uh, the Spanish flu influenza that went through. Uh, right after World War One, but but even even then, you know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of helpful case law on that because it had not been contemplated. Where you've got an epidemic on this scale, that it's not just impacting a city or a region; it's global. It's impacting everybody. So I, I don't know that there there is anything out there like this. That's what makes it so interesting. And, and what I would do. You know, I, if I have time, what, what I would love to do, and if, I, if I'm an operator and, and I don't know what these companies want to spend their money on, but if I'm a Continental or if I'm the you know American Petroleum Institute or the Petroleum Council, I'm paying a lawyer some money right now to crank out a law review article to get in the UND law review this fall, making my legal argument and setting forth some theories. That way, if I end up in front of a, a district court or the North Dakota Supreme Court on it, and you can throw in the Rocky Mountain Mineral Foundation. I know they churn out law review articles all the time back in their position, which is, you know, it's smart business. You, you, can't, you can't fault them for that. 
but I'm having somebody who's really smart who can write and research well, turning out an article on this and, and doing the groundwork and, and looking forward. So if you do get into court on it, you've got something, at least in the, the UND Law Review or the Oklahoma Law Review or the University of Texas Law Review, talking about these issues and, and making your argument for you. But yeah, it's it's unprecedented. I, I don't think there's there's been a situation like this on, on such wide of a scale. And, and you and I have talked about it, you know, disruptions in business with regards to technology and everything else. This is a major disruption. And our economy is entirely different. Even if you use the Spanish flu that went through 100 years ago as an example, our economy is fundamentally different today than it was then. And the impact this is having on a multitude of businesses is on such such a wide scale where you've got everybody, even, even you know, law firms. One of the big stories in my world is law firms across the country furloughing people, laying off people, telling their summer law clerks that are law students that intern for the summer that we're not doing our clerkship program this year and, and closing their offices and having people work from home. And, and the same goes, you know, I've had conversations with Oasis and Hess's in-house attorneys. And one of the things we all have in common is we got, you know, kids running around and yelling in the background, you're trying to work and you got all that chaos going on. Well, that wasn't the case hundred years ago. So I, I, to me, I, I would love to be the attorney. And, and I know we'll have some lease disputes come up about this year as we get into the summer and next fall. Man alive, I would love to be one of the attorneys on that Continental lawsuit with that refinery arguing this force majeure, force majeure issue back and forth. And, and I would expect, you know, I, I'm not privy to any conversations between those guys. I, I don't do any work for Continental. I'm, you know, typically on the other side of the pleadings caption against them. I know they've had some very capable attorneys, but I, I would expect that they'll probably end up settling that case um, with the refinery at some point. But that would be a really fun lawsuit to be involved in. Switching gears over to Lake Sakakawea, Wilkinson mineral rights case that's going on there. Uh, the one where the minerals have been in the family for generations. Army Corps of Engineers came in, created a uh, dam, Lake Sakakawea, if you will. State uh, decided... I don't know, a little while ago, that they would like to have those minerals. It's been in court now for a while. Uh, where are we at with that? We argued that case to the North Dakota Supreme Court here back on April 13th. So on Easter Monday, we had argument and another one of those things where the Supreme Court is not meeting in person. So for the first time in the state's history, when, when everything broke out with the COVID-19 here, the court started doing video and telephonic hearing. So we did a go-to meeting argument. The state stuck to its claim by the state engineer that they own all the minerals under the lake. We've been disputing that and fighting that here for the better part of a decade. But uh, you know, finally, we're at the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and it's a situation where you know my clients, the mineral owners, are in agreement. You know, Equinor, formerly Statoil, they're one of the parties in that lawsuit. And Everyone is on the same page arguing that the state's position is absurd. So hopefully we'll have a decision here that provides some sort of hopefully finality for, for mineral owners and for operators going forward. And, and the court will rule and affirm the district court and hold that the state doesn't have any ownership interest to these minerals. But, yeah, we're, we're hoping you know for a decision here sometime maybe June or July. 
Anything uh, we left out? Anything you want to reiterate? I know you got your couple shameless plugs in there. I like that one with Continental. That was a great, that was a specific shameless plug. Those are fantastic. So we might as well give you a couple more. Uh, how can we get in touch with you? And uh, when's your podcast airing and your radio program? Let's plug those too. So for the, the podcast, we still do a weekly episode. We've been able to do that with uh, Chase Miller up at 740 and, and Bison Illustrated, and we're posting those on Apple iTunes. If listeners search for Bison Illustrated Podcast, they can find that. Uh, we should have a new one up here tomorrow or Thursday of this week. And in the fall, we'll start doing Heard It Here with Swanee again, the uh, Eric Severide Award-winning Heard It Here with Swanee. Kicking that off uh, when football season starts and running that through the basketball season. And then if folks want to find me for the legal advice, they can go to vogelaw.com, check out our website. And they've got my contact information, my email. My phone is 701 237 That was Josh Swanson with Vogel Law. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strawn. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe. Well, coming up next, we talk with Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strawn, continuing the conversation about the force majeure clause in almost every contract, if not most, anyway, contracts that people have. Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strawn. Thank you very much for joining us here today in the Crude Life. Following on the story force majeure, had you on a little over a month ago, just pontificating, if you will, talking about the reality of a force majeure being implemented for some contracts throughout the oil and gas industry. And back then, I remember you kind of mentioned that it'd probably be a good idea. I think you even called out the Texas Railroad Commission, and I don't, I don't mean called out in a controversial way, but said that some of the organizations, and since you're out of Houston, that was a natural fit was to start defining this stuff early because it'll help later on. And we're going off of the Oklahoma governor and his recent, uh, I guess, declaration of a force majeure. So, uh, Chris Cottrell, how are you doing today? Hey, doing great, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on. So let's start off with that, if you wouldn't mind, that letter from the governor to uh, President Donald Trump about uh, basically defining or just being aware of the force majeure clause in a contract. So have you taken a look at that letter? 
I have taken a look at the, at the letter that Governor Stitt uh, wrote to President Trump. And so, you know, a lot of people are asking how that's going to help the industry. So I, I want to kind of give some background that, you know, a lot of these force majeure provisions require a, a governmental declaration or a governmental order declaring a force majeure, or at least that's one thing that would qualify as a force majeure. And so back when we were talking a few weeks ago, you know, I had said maybe it would be a great opportunity for the Railroad Commission to make a declaration that this, in fact, is a force majeure to the extent that people have that language in their contract. And it looks like the governor of Oklahoma has, in fact, uh, heated our calls for that, and he has actually requested a national declaration of a force majeure, which would cover, you know, all the basins of the United States. So it's a very exciting turn of events, and, and hope, ho- we're hoping that's something that actually happens that will help uh, the, the, the producers and actually all street, everybody involved in the entire stream of production from midstream to, to marketing, gathering, storage, uh, and allow them to, to put a pause on, on their ob- contractual obligations during this, this critical time. Did want to ask you one question too, and and feel free to bypass this if you want, because I, I don't want to get you involved in controversy. But I did see on a social media post, I think it was on your LinkedIn page or someone else's about this particular topic involving mineral owners, and I kind of racked my brain a little bit, and I didn't really see how it would hurt mineral owners. I get how pausing might, but overall, I didn't see the bigger picture on how it would have an overall negative impact on it. Are, are you aware of that side of the the coin? of? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, basically the landowners are the the other side, of the other party in the lease, right, where this they're, they're, they have these obligations that they're requiring the operator or the producer to do in order to generate revenue and generate a royalty income to them. So obviously pausing any kind of work or production on their lease would impact their, the monthly checks that they receive. So that is, that is a downside. Uh, you know, my response to that is that, you know, this is a finite limited resource and do you really want to deplete your, your reservoir uh, in, in a historically low price environment, you know, I'd, I'd argue that that, it, that is not the best use of the resources that we have, and that we should wait to produce them into a market that's that's healthier and has higher pricing. And I, I'm just going to add a, one more thing before we continue on with the interview. Here is uh, I, I wanted just to bring that up because I, I think we're in the territory past where everybody gets a trophy, and you know, we understand that all decisions are not going to be 100% beneficial to everybody. But like I was saying, I I took a step back and tried to look at the net positive versus the net negative gain on this. And I think just being able to do what the governor of Oklahoma was trying to do, I think has an overall positive gain, not only for the industry, but but for the mineral owners. And um, anyway, I just, I I wanted to make that clear point, I guess, that we're, we're in some areas right now overall as an economy as a society where you know each decision does have real 
real effects on both sides. And so we're in some real leadership category here. And I did want to transition that into, and you can comment on that as well if you'd like, but I, I did want to mention it like that because we're entering into the Railroad Commission of Texas now. And, you know, some of the hearings that have happened there, um, you know, there used to be a time where the Railroad Commission was basically as big as OPEC in terms of power, you know, back in the 70s and pre-70s times. So it's interesting when you start looking at when the Railroad Commission gets in the news and everything. And have you been following some of those hearings? And, and have you uh, got kind of an opinion on what's going on there with the Railroad Commission of Texas? Absolutely. Yeah, it's really interesting what's happening right now. And, you know, I, I, I hesitate to give my personal opinion on that. But basically what's happening is that you have some uh, producers mainly led, you know, coalition led by Pioneer and Parsley here in, in the Midland and, you know, the Permian Basin, Delaware and Midland uh, uh, plays. And they, they've gone to the Road Commission and asked them to, to adopt special proration rules that limit pro the, the amount of production you can have on lease on leases statewide and you know i i think that they're they're trying to limit the amount of supply that's in the market and in an attempt to stabilize the price that's really the big picture of what's happening right now and you know just like you said with your earlier statements there's no perfect response to this there's no one answer that's going to solve all the issues and there are implications all up and down the stream and it, for for a number of different people so it, it's just a tough situation and um you know and no one really knows if that's really going to solve the issue obviously you know the 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 critics of that position are going to say that you know the free market's working that um, that we don't require any governmental intervention, that the price oil is actually forcing people to lay down rigs and stop production and, and actually shut in uneconomic wells. And so it's already working. Why do we need the Railroad Commission to step in? So that that's that would be, I think, the main critical response to that, that attempt. I think we're really at an interesting teetering point as an industry. Um, I don't know if you want to comment on that, but I do think that's kind of the core issue is oil as a commodity. How about you? Yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, look, the thing that kind of excite, excited me a little bit about, so so Matt Gallagher, the CEO of Parsley, was on Jim Cramer on CNBC recently kind of laying out why he thinks the Railroad Commission needs to have proration, uh, you know, advanced proration rules uh, promulgated. And I noticed that in the background he had he had a book on his shelf, and the name of the book is called The Quest, Energy Security and the Remaking of the Modern World. And if your listeners haven't read the book, I highly recommend the book. It's a fascinating book about the history of the oil, the oil industry and its connection to global political and economic change. And, you know, it, it's the oil industry has, has historically been tied to a lot of political and economic implications. And, you know, I think we've settled into this, this 
situation where we're, we we the market's telling us that we're that that oil is so abundant that it should be free, almost free, right? And that we have nothing to worry about, that we can get it wherever we want. And I really question whether that's true or not. Chris Cottrell, hold on for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. We come back. We'll continue the conversation with Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strawn. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. Turn around and crucify me. I won't ever ever let even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising, even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water. Even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising, even when the storm comes. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. We're going to continue the conversation with Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strawn about force majeure in contracts and clauses. That we have nothing to worry about, that we can get it wherever we want, and I really question whether that's true or not. And you've got a lot of people that that uh, think the, the free market should you know, uh, dictate. And if that means that you go out of business, then that's okay. And I think, you know, my, my only word of caution to that, that type of thinking is to remind people that before we had the American Renaissance, you know, we were very heavily reliant on OPEC production, you know, 35 to 40%. And they really controlled a huge market share of the oil that 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 we uh, that we used in this country. And you know, I think we've got that we've gotten our demand on the on them down to you know approximately eighteen percent over the last six years or so. So so more than ha- half drop in our our demand. And so I think you know w- w- when you take a step back and go, what's really at stake? If we let the industry 
die, right, or, or get smaller. And if we lose all this talent, all these folks that are in the field, if we, if we lose all this talent that we have in the industry, what happens? And I think I, I'd say that what, what we're giving up is, is our ability to really be at the forefront of an, an industry that we rely on every single day. And we could potentially be turning over um, a lot of our financial and economic stability over to a region that I, I question whether or not they have the same stability that, that, that we have and they're going to be able to supply the, the, the oil that we need in the future. Um, you know, and I, and I saw some people say, well, you know, Canada, we're, we're almost 50% importing from them. You know, okay, but do you think they're going to be here when this is all over if they don't get bailed out? You know, is this a situation where when this is all over and all of our industries are wiped out, including the Canadian ones, are we at 60 to 7% relying on OPEC? And what does that look like? Very interesting times we're in. And I like to always reiterate, in my mind, I think we're in a in, in a time where everything's on the table and we've got to figure out ways to logically take things off the table because the world's flipped upside down right now. And I, I'm laughing at your email that you sent me here about the flaming Hot Cheetos story asking me if I've seen it. I have not seen it. So I'm not sure how to ask you about the with the industry, but I do want to ask you about the flaming hot Cheeto story. So first off, what is the flaming hot Cheeto story? Oh, that's a that's a great story, and so I I wanted to share that with your listeners just just quickly. Um, you know, I I think we're in a very t- tough si- situation, like you said, and you know, for the CEOs that are listening to this, the leaders uh, of certain companies that are listening to this. I think that. A lot of people, that their first instinct is to is to lay off or to to fire people, and of course that that's often a necessary thing if you're going to survive in this environment. So I'm not trying to be critical of that, but I did want to tell you, your listeners, a story about uh, the Flaming Hot Cheetos. So during the the 80s, Frito Lay was having a very tough time, and their CEO um, delivered. A, a video tape to his various factories, uh, basically telling them that you know they, that they should have an ownership mentality. They should think like owners uh, on Frito Lay, and that they were they were in need of something innovative uh, and, and something that's game changing, and that they should think how can they help drop costs? How could they? What product line could we deploy that's going to turn us around and make us more competitive? And out of everybody that listened to that video, there was a gentleman in the back of the room uh, that watched the video, and it and it hit him so powerfully that he started to think, uh, you know, I should be thinking like an owner. What what would I do if I owned Frito Lay? And so he asked the sales guy if he could tag along. I'm sure the sales guy thought he was crazy tag along uh, to, to just see what it's like it, to, to stock the shelves and to see what the products look like. What does that process look like? And so he spent the weekends going with the sales guy uh, at the factory and he, he started to notice what 
what, uh, you know, where they, they sat on the shelf, how much shelf space they were provided, um, where they were located, what, what the other competitors had on the shelves, you know, were they flavored, were they seasoned, were they not, you know, why were people buying other stuff? And so he realized that the stuff that was really selling was seasoned, you know, seasoned chips. And he thought that that would be a solution that Frito-Lay could, could roll out. And so he went back home to his wife and, and told her this whole idea that he, he thinks that they could make a, a hot or spicy salsa type chip and, and roll that out as a, a new product line. So she spent you know, a lot of time in the kitchen and, and they finally came up with a product that they thought would be uh, a game changer. And so he, 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 he told a story on a podcast recently and I think they're actually making a movie about it because it's such a fascinating, fascinating uh, story. And the guy's name is Richard Mont- Montanez, if, if any of your listeners want to look him up. But he basically pulled out the phone book and looked up the CEO's name uh, for Frito-Lay and gave him a call. And the secretary picks up the, the phone and she said, well, who... What division are you in? Are you in North America? Are you in South America? And he says, No, I'm in, I'm in North America. And he's like, Well, he's like, I'm at, I'm at a plant. He's like, Well, what 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 plant division? Are you in the California division, Texas division? Are you the head of that? He's like, No, I'm not the head of that. I, I work at this specific plant in California. And he said, Well, are you the plant the head of the plant? Are you the the manager of the plant? And he's like, He said no, and he was he was the janitor at the plant. And uh, she put him on hold and patched him through directly to the CEO. The guy picked up the phone and he, he told him, hey, I have this new product line. This is what I think we need to do. And the CEO said, no problem. We'll be there in, in four weeks. And they scheduled this, this meeting at the plant and uh, – you know, very next day the guy shows up to work and his boss is like, what in the world did you do? Do you, do you understand how many people you jumped over? Uh, you know, that was not a right move for you. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have rocked the boat. Um, and he's like, you're on your own, right? He's like, you figure it out. You've got this this uh, presentation. To listen to the full-length interview with Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strawn, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. All the social media pages are available at thecrudelife.com. I'd like to thank you folks for tuning in and joining us here at the Multimedia Cafe. As we mentioned, we're part of the Crude Life Media Network. Also, we are on the radio, which you're listening to us probably right now. But if you're not and you're listening to us on the interweb, thank you very much for tuning in and being a part of the Multimedia Cafe. If you have a guest or a band or somebody who would like to be on the Multimedia Cafe, feel free to reach out to us at thecrudelife.com. Folks, that's going to do it for us today here at the Multimedia Cafe. We'll be back next week at this time on this radio station. From the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember to savor life and enjoy the spice. Now we're gonna have no trouble with the treble. There's no breaks in the breeze. 
Like they did.